As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Big weekend. Both of us were on the road at at very interesting games. Stu, you were at the game that was a much more of a nail-biter. and You were up in Seattle, my former uh, hometown. You got to see a great game. I'll be honest, I didn't get to see too much of it because I was at a tailgate, but I did see a little... That's going to be a recurring theme on this show, by the way. You know, I'm so glad I was there. It was an amazing game, amazing atmosphere. The problem with covering a college football game is you don't see much other college football that day. But But you saw the most significant. I saw the most significant game. and, And honestly, as much as I was looking forward to it, as much as it was highly anticipated, I think it was even better. Um, the atmosphere, first of all, you've been in that stadium it, it's a it can get pretty loud it can start shaking what was but even time, by the way you were at a UW home game 2013 it was also an Oregon Washington game long time ago yeah and um but yeah I mean even the Washington beat writers were saying this was exceptionally loud Jeff Beck told their excellent SID who's been there forever said when was the last time afterward I said when, what this is the you know, most exciting game you've had here since. And he went all the way back to 2000 Miami-Washington. Yeah, the Tui game. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Football, they, they beat Miami. I was actually at that game. Um, and it did feel like the press box would shake. And it also felt like the press co- press box might fall off the stadium. Too. That was the old, I think that was before they remodeled it. It, is, <laughs> it, got, it, it got like that. Um, look, you had two of the best quarterbacks in the country going back and forth. I wrote in the column, it reminded me a little bit of being at the Joe Burrow versus Tua game in 2019, where you know you're just watching two great quarterbacks. And But it wasn't like there wasn't also some great defensive plays in that game. There were, including Oregon getting a goal line stand that at that point, that late in the game, sure looked like Oregon was going to win. Um, Michael Panix and his receivers blew me away. I just, I just cannot believe... What a great connection they have. I was down in the corner of the end zone when at the end when he uh, or on that sideline when he when they took over after the 
fourth down decision that we'll talk about. Uh, he two plays. That's all it took. Long pass to to poke. His touchdown pass to Dunze was a, you know, they they both talked about it afterward a quick nod, audible. He's got one on one coverage with a backup cornerback, and they almost left too much time on the clock. I do I do get the sense uh, the next morning that people are still talking more about Dan Lanning's fourth down decisions and just this this crazy thing he's got going where okay that's his thing he's going to be aggressive he's going to go for fourth downs but he seems to be having terrible luck with it um, I was there with Chris Vanini he wrote about it and you know their last three losses Washington last year which was eerily similar to this one where they went for it. In a tie game in their own territory, didn't get it. Washington goes down for the winning field goal. Oregon State last year in this game, combined the three of them, and they were 0 for 9 on fourth down. They were 8 of 10 on fourth down coming into this game. But for whatever reason, in the big games, it doesn't work. And obviously, he's taking a lot of heat for it because all three of those, I don't know what the chart says, I don't know what the metrics say, but they were certainly... Uh, unconventional choices. We'll put it that way. I noticed in the post-game comments, he said, hey, put this on me. And he he shouldered the blame for it. Um, you know, I'm sure, I think, and I, I don't know where I saw this from. It might've been from John Canzano, but I, I, I did see somebody writing about, okay, are we talking about being aggressive or does it blur into the line of being reckless? Um, you were at the game, you had the flow of the game as you're, as you're watching it. Where did you side on that? I think each one was a little different. Um, the one, I think the, the most questionable one was going into halftime. You have a chance to get three points and, uh, then come back. They're getting the ball to start the, the second half. Um, they would have built a nice little lead. Instead, they come away with no points. Uh, and he himself admitted afterward he would have done that over again. I think the second one could go either way. And then, of course, the one that ended up helping decide the game kind of depends on which side of the, uh, which perspective you have. On third and two, just across midfield, they get stuffed. So now it's fourth and three. Not fourth and one or fourth and two, fourth and three. His thinking is, we get the first down, we win the game. We don't have to deal with Michael Penix again. We just run out the clock. But you didn't get the first down, and you gave Michael Penix the ball at midfield to go down and win the game. Uh, whereas if you punt, and if your punter is a good punter and he can execute this, you can make him drive 80 or 90 yards instead of In how much time? Uh, in two minutes. I, you know, again, and I'd be lying. I'm not trying to be disingenuous i was not watching the game in real time i couldn't um where i was but knowing this obviously hindsight is 2020 if you feel like these three things can be true one in the back of your head you're like this quarterback and these receivers are too hot we're not giving keep, them and keep in mind also that oregon had lost their top two corner two starting corners during the game so add which that may have been a factor yes, as well yeah. even a bigger factor so you know that like you have a hot quarterback with really talented receivers with plenty of time. It's not like there was 40 seconds. Any to me, any quarterback in college football who's a high level quarterback with good receivers, if you have more than a minute, that's plenty of time. The fact that he had two minutes and I, like to me, what I think, you know, yes, fourth and three is not fourth and one, 
you have a really, really good offensive line. You have a mobile quarterback. You have weapons. And your and your offense has been explosive all you know all year, really for the last two years. I totally get where he's coming on. Let you let your let your offense try to win the game because you know if it's up to it. Not that you don't believe in your defense, but especially after what you just said that they're depleted in the secondary. On top of that, I I think it is the right decision. Obviously, it didn't work, but I think that I totally get why you make that decision. And you're not alone in that uh, counterpoint. It's not like Washington was marching up and down the field on it before that. You know, like I said, the, the possession before that, they had a goal line stand. Uh, the um, Washington possession before that, punt. The Washington possession before that, punt. So it's not like their defense was getting destroyed in the fourth quarter. Um, and also, I, yes, it's plenty of time. Like, the time, the clock would not have been the issue. It just would have been if he has to convert more than two passes as their a better chance you're going to get a sack because they were down to one timeout at that point. Are you going to get a sack? Are you going to get a turnover? Um, are you going to just, you know, uh, get a red zone? Even a red zone stop would have worked there. Remember, they're up four, not three. So um, people will say it cost them the game, and I guess it did. But I don't think it's uh, it, it's certainly not, you know, Mario Cristobal the week before level of coaching. He did get a lot of heat, and, and he, like you said, he took it. It is oddly coincidental that it happened in this game two years in a row. Same thing, two years in a row. You know, you saw, you said you saw the quote, right? It's a hundred percent on me. Go back and find the game recap from last year's Washington game. It's a hundred percent on me. So let's bring this forward. Let's first look at it from the from the Washington side. Obviously, they are 6-0. and This is their biggest win. You know, beyond that, they beat Arizona on the road. It was a tough game. But look, Arizona just, just crushed Washington State. And, we, you know, we think Arizona's pretty good. So now the schedule sets up this way. They do have to go to USC, who we'll get to them in a minute. And they have to go to Oregon State, who's good. And they obviously have the Apple Cup, uh, Utah. And then before that, it's ASU at home and at Stanford. As you look at this... You watch this team. You got to see them in person. Do you think they are a team that has a legit chance to win a national title and beat anybody? I do. I do. And it's not, but it's not like you come out of that saying they're indisputably the best team in the Pac-12. Like both of those teams, it could have gone either way. Um, now, do I, would I would they be the favorite? No, I think it's Georgia and Michigan right now until proven otherwise. But I do think they can, like, when they got into the playoff in 2016, they had no chance against Alabama. Jake Browning, nice quarterback, not Michael Penix. Um, they had a really good defense that year. It was just a different, completely different style. I think when you have a quarterback, like, and you, we've seen it time and again in the playoffs. With Ohio State last yeah, year. Yeah, when you have a elite quarterback like that, you can beat almost anyone. And... That's not to say they're going <clears> to <throat> run the table here by any means. These are some good teams they're playing. They could trip up once. Uh, they could lose to Oregon in a rematch in Vegas. But if they can get into that thing, yeah, I don't see why they couldn't beat any other any of the other teams out there in the field. Not just because of him, but because and people, if they just look at the box score, won't see this. But they made a lot of great defensive plays in that game. They're physical. They can run the ball when they need to. They don't run it a lot, but they can when they need to. 
Um, it's a pretty complete team. So on the other side of it, you have Oregon. Obviously, they have a loss, but their schedule now is a little more favorable in that they get they get USC at home, they get Oregon State at home. They do have to go to Utah, but they also have Wazoo at home. Um, if I tell you right now like this, do you think similar to about Oregon could beat anybody just like you just said about Washington? It's weird. Even though that game went right down to the last second, if they kick a field goal and take it to overtime, maybe they win. I don't feel quite as confident about Oregon. I feel like Penix, you know, has that Joe Burrow kind of swagger with his receivers. Like, we're going to get it done. It was just no question. We're going to get it done, right? Bo Nix is a great quarterback. He has a great deep ball connection with Troy Franklin. Um, His stats yesterday were great. But he didn't get any of those fourth downs. And somebody brought up after the fact, and maybe this is a little unfair because you're going back to the SEC. He's now 0-7 against top 10 teams in his career. So if you give me one of those two guys against Georgia or Michigan, I'm going to have more confidence in Penix than Knicks. Uh, I like what you're saying about all this. I, I am skeptical of, I think you were going too far with like, just as somebody who was actually around Joe Burrow a lot at that time, I'd never seen anybody play in college like he did. And he also, you know, Washington has really good receivers. I'd be hard pressed to believe that they have Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, and even the third receiver. Yeah, Marshall. I'm not. I think I'm not saying one I think of these guys is going to be a little bit on the that. best receiver in the NFL. I don't. Even, I don't really know where Penix is going to get drafted, but I'm sure it's not number one pick. No. I'm not doing a talent versus talent thing here. I'm, I'm just doing saying, like I'm I, doing level of confidence connection they have. I mean, the connection he has with, with these guys. Also, by the way, um, in the first quarter on his first touchdown pass. So this is how loaded they are at receiver. Giles Jackson hadn't played yet this year because he was injured. Uh, but in this game, McMillan got hurt right at the beginning. So who? So Jackson comes and he hasn't played yet. And he, and Penix connects with him on a long touchdown pass. Uh, it's a it's a loaded receiver room. I, I wouldn't, you'd have to ask an NFL scout how that group compares with, um, you know, these some of these Ohio State receiver rooms lately, or Alabama when they had all those first-round draft picks, or LSU, like you said, that year. But they're really good, and it's not like you look around the landscape and say uh, that, I mean, what team around the country would you say, no, 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 I'll take their quarterback and receivers first. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, You want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, 
even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I don't know. This might be a good segue for the one I probably would have said. <laughs> now I watched Caleb Williams in person throw three interceptions in the first half. And it's one of the first, like, honestly, this was a game where in South Bend, where it was really as much the offense that that was the cause. You can't blame the defense for this because every time, you know, USC turned the ball over five times. There's no way. You could have the 85 Bears defense, and you're probably not winning when you go when you're minus five in the turnover margin, right? And it was just interesting because like I felt like Caleb does some remarkable things regularly, but there are a bunch of stuff where you see, like, man, he barely got that in there or whatever. And it felt like a lot of the times where a lot of the stuff that he gets, I don't want to say gets away with, but makes work. These were like, uh-uh, this isn't happening today. And credit to Notre Dame. They had a good plan for it. And I felt like they were a step ahead. Credit for Notre Dame's defensive line, which pretty much dominated. USC's offensive line really struggled. It wasn't even just that. It was like, you know, there was some short yardage situations where like USC's tight end couldn't get a safety blocked and it blows up a play and, and different things. And then ultimately... You know, Sam Hartman was very solid. It was a really cool atmosphere. It's the first time I've been at a Notre Dame game since the Bush push. And they do a really, they've done a really nice job. Um, I don't want to say modernizing the stadium, but the experience is, was very, very cool. That was your first time there in how long? For a Notre Dame game? Yeah. My first time there since the Bush push game. I've Holy been moly. Since I had. ESPN Magazine sent me there to do a cover story on Brian Kelly when he got the job. That was a long time ago. And then I do remember going there for a, for a preseason media days, you know, probably five or six years ago. But you got to remember, I mean, I, I'm like working as a sideline reporter and yeah. I'm at Big Noon. So I'm just not, it's not on our rotation. Yeah. So. I, I, yeah, I was there, I think, for a game in a US, no, actually a USC game where USC also got blown out in uh, 2017. Um, the stadium still has that historic appearance, but it also is much more modernized and loud and the big video board and all that. So what happened here? I mean, I have felt for several weeks like USC was living on borrowed time and it was only a matter of time before they combusted. But I certainly didn't think it would be Caleb Williams, who that happened to. 
Um, I mean, they, they, Notre Dame only, I think, gained less than 300 yards and won by four touchdowns. 250 yards of offense. And Um, won by four touchdowns. Now, going back to the Arizona game the week before, Caleb was shaky most of the game, but came through at the end. What's going on with him? I don't know if it's just like because he's been so sharp and, and so good at extending plays. I don't feel like he was as um inclined to try to take it off and run maybe this now but there were times where it just felt like they were a step ahead of him you know where he would throw it and and just either not see a defender or just like something was a little off last night they definitely got pressure on him but and then once that started like I felt like Zachariah Branch you know who was back he was definitely somebody like okay you hold your breath when he gets the ball but like Brendan Rice, who's been really good this year, you know, he was he might have drawn like a PI penalty or here or there and had a couple of you know shorter catches, but I just felt like they couldn't get him going. Um it, it just once like Caleb, I think through the second interception, it felt like it was like, oh man, here we go. You know, like we, you know, who are we gonna lean on? Like, I just didn't feel like like for the people who looked at it and go, okay, USC is going to lose three games because the defense is going to let them down. I don't think they saw this coming. No, you know, because again, they gave up 250 yards. Now there was a bunch of, sh- and when I say short, it sounds people, like one of the reasons. Yeah, one of the reasons they only gave 250 yards. And Notre Dame never had to drive. Notre they rarely had to drive. Notre Dame really didn't do a heck of a lot. I felt like now they also, you know, another thing that goes into it. Notre Dame had a hundred yard kick return by JD Price. And so that's a possession you're not going to have. You know what I mean? But like, I didn't think, you know, this is, I don't want to say this is as good as like, to me, this was the best I've seen Notre Dame look because their defense looked really good. They were very disruptive on the D line. They played fast. I thought their secondary looked good. You know, we know Ben Mar- Ben Morrison's really, you know, well-regarded young cornerback. They they went after him some and he responded well to it. I just thought, um, you know, it was Notre Dame looked like a, a true top 10 team. USC looked like a team that had kind of lost its way a little bit. You know, it just didn't feel feel right. I mean, you know, on the part about the defense, I mean, Notre Dame was three for 10 on third down. So it wasn't like, oh, man, they got it really going. They played smart. They didn't. You know, I feel like they didn't take a ton of chances, but they their defense made plays. And I thought they they were more the more physical team on both sides of the ball. And and it's crazy because just a week earlier, you might have said something completely different about Notre Dame. They went from getting blown out by Louisville to blowing out USC the next week. There was a so I got back to the room in time to watch the fourth quarter. Jason Garrett, who, you know, God bless the guy, but like should not be the color analyst on a on a broadcast this high profile. I don't know how he got the job. You know, he says I, I, I rewound it to make sure I heard what he said, he said Sam Hartman throws the best deep ball I've ever seen. He's the best deep ball passer I've ever seen. Did you come away with the impression that Sam Hartman is the best deep ball passer in the history of football? Yeah, look, Sam Hartman, I, Sam Hartman's a really good college quarterback. I don't, you know. I don't want to kind of get into. No, I, I get it. You can't say it. I can. It's a really weird. I don't know. NBC seems to change up the Notre Dame broadcast crew every couple of years. And this one is they always sound like they're sitting like in a library very quietly watching the football game. Stu, I got to say, like you know, off that part, 
like so we were there you know we did our pre-game show from there and it's it was like really rainy and windy and you know we were not expecting to get uh, you know much of a crowd given that weather especially because the game wasn't right right uh you know right after it was a night game and so just from a game from a fan experience so i went there and you know part of the what i was really excited about for this trip was you know i work with brady quinn i work closer for a long time now but this is the first chance i get to be in south bend with him it's just to kind of experience what it is like to be there um in that and it was just like so we we ended up at some tailgate that was an in-house tailgate where you remember Chris Zorich, right? Oh yeah. So it's like, you know, there's Chris Zorich is there. There's a, you know, a bunch of like when I say random, there were guys I didn't remember who played, you know, kind of thing. But um, you know, Ian Book was there at one point. And um, but it was funny, we walked from there, walked from there into the stadium. And so it's a it's you know, some of the Fox behind the scenes people you know, and Urban is with us and and obviously Brady. And Brady cannot go two feet without people coming up and wanting to either tell them a story about something or tell them that they named their kid after him or the kid themselves saying, I was named after you. And you're walking, you almost want to be like, hey, the guy over here won three national titles and he's the coach here. But it was like everything. It was it was kind of you're telling cool. me Brady Quinn is a much bigger deal there than Urban Meyer. Brady Quinn might be a bigger deal than anybody there. I don't want to like Joe Montana was there, too. And I don't want to, you know, you know play this or that with that but it was just like pretty remarkable to be around there and it's just as you know like at one point we were, went to the t towards the top of the stadium you're looking and here's touchdown jesus and over there's the dome and it's like it is unlike anything else it really is and i know for people who who, who rooted against notre dame and hated you know them or whatever you probably want to puke when you hear all this stuff but just you know it, it was a it was just a really you know kind of a remarkable scene over the course of a day it's just a great way to spend a fall saturday you know unless you're a usc fan who's like you know got the usc gear on i think you can probably take you know stop and appreciate it for a minute of just like you know how that how that is and everything like that oh i i you know when georgia played there a few years ago i mean they brought a ton of fans uh because people want to see it they want to see that the history and experience it. And, um, you know, I think probably more than most places, the visiting fans just come away in awe. So I get what you're saying. You had me spin ahead on, um, the schedules of Washington and Oregon. Let's do it with USC given where they are right now. They turn around this week and host Utah who looked a lot better. Uh, uh, you know, um, it, this on the game yesterday than they had on offense all season. Um, then they go to Cal, then a big one, Washington coming to SC on November 4th, and then another big one the next weekend at Oregon, and then ending with UCLA. What's their record by the time they get through that? So before we get to that, there's one thing that like, I think we tend to forget about with stuff like this. They're still undefeated in the conference, by the way. I know. I They're mean, in they first place in the conference. Yeah. So, but they've definitely been bruised here, you know, and have they been exposed um, maybe, I mean, look, I think Utah's defense is every bit, I think as good as Notre Dame's, I think, um, you know, I think their linebackers are really good. I don't know. I don't know if they're as honestly, if they're as good at all three levels, but I think they're pretty comparable. Um, 
So those, they have honestly five tricky games. I mean, they should beat Cal, but it's on the road. And I feel like, you know, Justin Wilcox is a good coach. I think they will go. I think they will go 10 and 2. Hmm. Optimistic. An optimistic uh, projection. Uh, I think they'll go 9 and 3. Um, and I think it's going to be a tough end of the season for Lincoln Riley. He's going to have to make some tough decisions about his staff because if they go 9 and 3, they will have missed this window with Caleb Williams to go to the playoff, which is what USC fans expected when he was hired. Um, I think last year was gravy. They got to a near, they got to the game. They got to the New Year's Six Bowl in his first season. But given that, they were expecting to be better, not worse this season. And it's not looking like that's going to happen. But like you said, they're first place in the conference. So what I would say is if Oregon or Washington tank, they get going a little bit of slump, it's definitely still possible we see SC in the Pac-12 title game. The only other team left, I think, at this point that you could factor in is Oregon State, is the Beavers. Because Washington State has fallen apart. Uh, credit to Arizona, by the way. They they broke through yesterday and, and just took it to them. Um, UCLA, Dante Moore, very talented, not yet ready for prime time. He just keeps throwing the interceptions. Um, but yeah, Oregon State, 6-1, and 3-1 and one in the conference now. You know who quietly has had a really, really good year? Who? It is DJ. He had threw five touchdowns the other day. He threw two, uh, you know, yesterday against UCLA. He's played very well. I mean, is he looking like the five-star guy that, you know, was the most hyped guy coming out of high school? No. But in all, with all these quarterbacks here, from Caleb to Penix to Bo Nix, Shador, you know, there's and there's more than that, he's had a really good year for a team that is really good. He's gone from... Uh, at Clemson last season, a 135.3 passer rating up to 158.9, which is not elite, but it's a big improvement. The, the one that jumps out, though, is from 6.8 yards per attempt to 8.9. It's that Jonathan Smith magic. He's, he's getting this guy to play at a much higher level than he did the last two years at Clemson. The other thing that's, that I don't think they're doing as much with him he like he wasn't bad last year at Clemson. If you look, I mean, it wasn't like he was. It was more than a three to one touchdown interception ratio. He they really relied on him to run the ball last year, and he you know I think he had well over five hundred yards. I don't think that is as much because this team has a really good run game anyway. Um, but I suspect, and for people who are like you know Ducks fans who are already kind of smarting after the way they lost their team lost yesterday, it's like oh great now you're gonna jam down the beavers down our throats but i do think it's a it's a program that you know jonathan smith has done an amazing job there and you know we can talk you know at some other point about just kind of the plight of what the beavers program is going to be but it's really a good story you know for what's gone on this season of how they've kind of responded 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we just a lot of Pac-12 to start the podcast. Let's, although I do feel genuinely feel like that's that was the most interesting football yesterday. The one that other the other one I would say that of all the stuff that happened yesterday, it just fascinates me in a weird, weird way. Is Iowa? Iowa beat Wisconsin fifteen to six. Their quarterback threw for thirty-seven yards. I mean, it's a broken record at this point. Their offense is absolutely positively beyond terrible. And yet, with that win yesterday, they are now 6-1, first place in that division, and and there's not another team in that division that I think could finish ahead of them. Like, I think that team, with the worst offense you've ever seen, is going to Indianapolis. Yeah. Do you give them any chance to do anything when they get there? No, (laughs) I do not. I mean... You saw, we've already seen this movie. They, they 42 to three to Michigan two years ago. Um, I mean, what they're just benefiting from the fact that every the that whole division is down. Um, you know, Wisconsin is certainly not anywhere near what people thought they might be in Luke Fickle's first season. Nebraska, Minnesota, just just go on down the list. Illinois beat Maryland yesterday, that was a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, the, the game that probably gives you a better indication of what would happen if they make the Big Ten title game is the Penn State game. And they, they lost 31 nothing Guards of total yeah. off. They have, don't get me wrong, Iowa has a great defense. Great defense. How And special teams, too. How else do you win a game like that where your quarterback throws for 37 yards? But it helps when you're playing other teams that don't have great offenses. That's not the case when you're going to play Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. You can't win with that formula. You're not going to hold... Um, you know, Michigan to nine points or six points. So it's just not going to happen. No, I don't think so. Um, I watched a lot of the Michigan game yesterday. I, you know, they are playing really, they're really impressive. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I don't know what his Heisman odds are right now, but JJ McCarthy though, because he has Penn state late in the year, because he has Ohio state late in the year, they got a deep group of receivers. He's got the best offensive line. He's got running backs that can catch the ball. Um. You know, he's a guy I think is, I would not count him out of the Heisman race at all. It's kind of a similar situation, frankly, to to what Caleb had last year, where they all of their biggest games were at the end, right? Notre Dame, UCLA, uh, that's when people were watching. And he went from, I don't remember where in the Heisman's drop holes, but like kind of one of many to the runaway winner at the end. What's, what's interesting about J.J. McCarthy is that the last two years of Michigan football where they went to the playoff, they just ran the ball a lot and they didn't expect much of the quarterback until that Ohio state game last year. And, but I agree with you. I you know the Heisman contender for Michigan is him. Uh, he's frankly the story of the season to them for me, because, you know, Blake Corum has not been as dominant as he was last year, um, but they've really, really stepped up in the passing game. It's just a shame the schedule worked out the way it did. Shouldn't have canceled that UCLA series, Michigan. But then, obviously, you know, the Big Ten hasn't helped them. That I just don't really know 
that will know for sure that they're as uh, great as they've looked until they play those games at the very end of the season. Now we're going to get a, a great glimpse of Ohio state and Penn state this week. Like finally there's a big 10 you game. You have you to tune into. No, I'm not going back on the road. You're going there, right? Yes. We are. We are very excited for uh, a trip back to Columbus for this one. I am going to my later this year. I'm going to my first Ohio state Michigan game in a decade. I'm, I'm really pumped for that. It's usually I don't, plan those things that far ahead of time because you just don't know how it's going to play out. But I'm very confident that game will have major implications. What else, anything, if anything, stood out to you yesterday? A couple of things that I noticed. Look, Jimbo Fisher lost another game. Texas A&M, the thing that jumped out to me here, and we've talked about Jimbo on the hot seat a lot, but not from maybe this prism. Their offense is really, really underwhelming at this point. And Again. <clears throat> Again, but now Bobby Petrino's running it, right? So they are 10th in the SEC in offense, last in red zone uh, TD percentage. Obviously, they're playing with a backup quarterback, but Max Johnson's played a ton of college football, and they do have some really good weapons. Evan Stewart's probably one of the most talented receivers anywhere in college football. Um, and there's this fact, one of the beat writers, Carter Carroll's or Carell's, I'm sorry, Carter, if I'm mispronouncing your last name. In the second half of the last three games combined, Texas A&M has only scored nine points and committed six turnovers. You can't win that way, you know? And so Jimbo has now lost, he's, he's lost eight in a row, uh, for the Aggies on road games. I mean, if you're looking at this, now we know what his record is. We know what the schedule is like, as we've talked about it before. They still have Ole Miss on the road. They still have LSU on the road. And then they have, you know, some certainly some winnable games. Like, what do you take from this unless he wins, you know, pulls both upsets? It's To me, it's not about the record at this point. It's what is there to be excited about with that program? I mean, when they uh, almost made the playoff in 2020, there was a lot to be excited about when they got the all-time greatest recruiting class, there was something to be excited about. It's just kind of blah. AM football is just kind of meh, right? And and probably heading toward a at best nine and three, but probably more like eight and four kind of season. So it's just a matter of how much money they're willing to spend at this point. Cause with Texas coming to the SEC next year with Texas looking really good under Sark, they're gonna want to upgrade. I don't think I can't imagine there are many you know, adamant Jimbo defenders left at AM. It's just $70 million is a lot of money. Yeah, it's $76 million. The issue, though, and look, you know, I've always heard they have the money if they need to make the move. The issue is if you don't make the move and they go eight and four again next year, it's it, it's still a huge chunk of money. Is it is it that big of a difference between 76 yeah. and $68 million? I'm... They're going to look at the calculus of this and just be like, and, and I thought Andy Staples wrote this when Will, when they, Florida State fired Willie Taggart after two years. Granted, it was not this kind of number, but like at some point you just have to look at the economics of the longer we do this, the more people are going to stop buying tickets, stop buying merchandise because they're not proud of their team anymore. Oh, by the way, to have a successful team, you need donors to donate to NIL now. Like, at a certain point, and I don't know what that point is, though, it just it becomes like a point of diminishing returns. Like either we're, we're going to have to spend a lot of we're either going to have to spend a lot of money or we're going to lose a lot of money and a lot of fan support. So I, I don't know. I think it's a matter of time at this point. I don't think we need to keep belaboring it. Um, 
there's just not a lot going for them there. All right, guys, you've heard us talking about graduate hotels for weeks now on this podcast. Well, guess what? I got to stay in a graduate hotel on my trip to Seattle this weekend, and it was awesome. Um, one of the things that we always say when we read these ads is how it's usually walking distance to the stadium. This was something even better. Light rail station right across the street, one stop, bam, at Husky Stadium. Quite a different experience than when I go cover a game in Alabama or somewhere where you sit in traffic for two hours. Great restaurant on the rooftop. One of those hotel restaurants that's so cool that people who live there go there, not just people who stay in the hotel. We had s'mores for our dessert. They brought a flame to the table. Pretty darn cool. And then, like we've been saying, and it's true, the whole hotel theme, everything's college. The room card, the do not disturb sign is a little pennant that says, do not disturb, I'm studying. Uh, It's just, it's really cool if you're somebody who's really into the college experience. And they have these hotels in college towns all around the country. So take advantage of the deal we have for you here at the Audible. Book a stay at Graduate Hotels this season and get up to 20% off plus 50 bucks to spend on food and drinks. Just use code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B when you book at graduatehotels.com. That's up to 20% off your stay plus $50 for food and drinks with promo code GRADFB. That's G-R-A-D-F-B. Book now at graduatehotels.com. Obviously, a little bit of uh, you know, some some impactful results in the ACC yesterday. Um, a week after beating Notre Dame, Louisville gets clobbered by a pit team that had not been very good to this point. They lost their star running back. That did not help, but um, it just kind of seemed like, well, we thought Louisville was overachieving to get to 6-0, and and so the, the wheels kind of came off there. Um, and then UNC beat Miami, and they're still undefeated. I know what we need to talk about before are we you, go. Before we go, before are you buying North Carolina? I am. I I, I think you think they can I, be. You think they can be a playoff team? Well, the only thing I don't really know yet is can they beat Florida State? Shouldn't, uh, you, shouldn't you? You just saw, and I I'm not trying to corner you on this, but you just saw Washington. You know, and again, I don't want to play this. The NFL people think Drake May is this, and they don't think M- Michael Penix is that, but. With the offense and kind of the prism we just kind of walked through, now that he's got, you know, full complement of receivers and his big transfer who got eligible two weeks ago went off yesterday against Miami, had a huge day. Amarian um, um, Hampton has is, is been a phenomenal running back. Like, they have a lot of firepower on So offense. you're a big, I'm a believer, and sounds like you're a believer too. Well, I I'm think- just saying, like, if everything you said about, like, how Washington could beat pretty much anybody because they, their offense is so potent. Here's Drake May with, a with I think, a better running back than what Washington has. I don't know if the receivers are quite as good, but they might be. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the system, I don't know. You know, you, may, you might be right. The only thing is, like, I, the reason I'm on the Washington bandwagon is I just saw them beat a top 10 team, a legit top 10 team. Uh, UNC has not played a team like that yet, and they're not going to. Unless you think Duke is on the level of Oregon, I certainly I don't. don't think Clemson is. I think they're good. So, I don't so probably not until they get to the ACC title game, if they get to the ACC title game, and play Florida State. And um, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if they can win. them probably they can win that. I don't know. I don't think Florida State's unbeatable, but they also just absolutely destroyed Syracuse yesterday. So 
I gave yeah, the, I I mean, set the over under at at thirty percent that North Carolina will be undefeated in the regular season, and this is the games at UVA, really bad team that's one in five. I'm sorry, against UVA. Then they have Georgia Tech, who's three and three on the road. Campbell, that's an FCS program with a huge with a huge offensive and defensive line, by the way. Um, Duke, who is playing well, and we think we'll probably have their star quarterback for that game by mid-November at Clemson at NC State. Um, what do you think? Undef- undefeated by the end of that. Um, twenty percent. Twenty percent. You're taking the under. Okay. Yeah. You, you taking the over? No. No, I'd probably take. I, if I said it's thirty, I would say I'd be somewhere between. I'd probably be twenty five percent. Come on, you just talk them up like you know. It's like hard a to team. like. I mean, <laughs> I think they win the first three games. Then they have Duke at Clemson. Also, NC State is is good on defense. I, I think. We get caught up in the moment sometimes, and we forget that the last month of the season is hard, and teams get upset. Like right now, you got all these undefeated teams; they're going to start losing games. Teams you maybe don't expect them to lose to. We will not have five Power Five undefeated champions at the end of the year. Um, it's college football; thing unexpected things happen, and I just think like the grind catches up to teams in November. So. All right, and we're not even there yet. We still got a couple. We got still got uh, half of October left. All right, last thing. Friday night, people probably stayed up for it. We'll see what the great TV ratings are this time. Colorado goes up twenty nine nothing on Stanford at the half. Stanford one and four going to this game. You figure, all right, Dion Shador, they're winning this one. They're getting a five and two, and Stanford comes all the way back and takes it to double overtime and wins. It was, uh, I think, the biggest comeback in since the Pac-10 became the Pac-12, something like that. Um, man, just just it was a great story in September, but it just feels like everything has come off for to you. Uh, really good win for Stanford. Uh, like you said, I don't know. People may have stayed up to watch it. I think they turned off. Yeah, when probably. It, so. Um, hell of a win for Stanford. It was interesting because you had Travis Hunter who did some really good things, but you, you know, you wondered if he, you know, it, how he was holding up late in the game, his first time back to be out there. Cause there was definitely some plays where you're like, Oh, I think he would have made that earlier in the season. What's crazy of all most crazy about Stanford is, you know, I know that program. Well, they're very down on talent, um, overall, but they had a receiver who I'm going to be honest, did not know who that was go for 13 catches for 294 yards and three touchdowns, including the big highlight where he caught it around Travis Hunter's helmet. Lots of very talented receivers in medicine hat, um, Canada. I don't know. I think that's probably a more of a hockey hotbed, but <laughs> Alec, I, oh, manner. Uh, that's why I didn't say it. I figured I was going to botch it. Uh, Apparently, he was sitting on the bench for Stanford last year, redshirting. Maybe he could have used him uh, a little bit sooner. He And that wasn't his first really, you know, he's had, he had, uh, well, that was against Sacramento State. Never but didn't mind. Didn't all his yards come in the second half, though? Or yeah, like, they yeah. absolutely did. They, they, they could not stop him. And that was with Travis Hunter defending him a lot. Like, I'd be curious if that hurt Travis Hunter's, uh, well, he's not eligible yet, so he's got a long way to go, but just wasn't his finest moment. Um, I thought 
Colorado would at least get the six wins and get to a bowl game, it's going to be hard because they basically just blew, you know, one of probably the two easiest games they had left, Cal being the other one. Everybody else is a top 25 type team. And they just, it is what it is. Their defense is terrible and they're, and they can't protect, they can't protect Shador and they can't really run the ball that well either. It's basically just, you know, the formula that got them to the hot start was Shador scrambling around and throwing these, you know, unbelievable passes. I still think he's a really good quarterback. He just hasn't gotten, um, he, you know, he hasn't been able to make all the plays lately. They're as dependent on him as USC is on Caleb. So it is what it is. Shout outs real quick. All right. My shout out is going to be to Troy and John Sumrall's program. They handed uh, Army its first home shutout in 20 years. They beat them 19 to nothing, held them to like 250 yards of offense. And it's the first time they've been shut out in nine years. Uh, Jeff Munkin's program's not been as good this year as they were in the past. They're two and four. But Troy's really good. You know, Summerall's a guy we've talked about a bunch. He does a really good job. Their defense is pretty nasty. And to shut down that team at Mikey Stadium was pretty impressive. That was a deep cut. You went deep, deep down the the scoreboard for that um, shout out. So shout out to you. I already gave a shout out to Air Force last week. They got another huge win. So uh, credit to them. This time I will go James Madison, who only... Keeps winning. Keeps winning. Moved up to FBS just last year. They're still in the transition period. So that means they can't go to a bowl game and they can't play in the Sun Belt Championship game, which is unfortunate because they they seem to be pretty clearly the best team in the Sun Belt. And they just missed the AP poll this week. They were the last one, the last one that didn't make it. Boo to the voters who kept UCLA in and didn't put James Madison in. Ralph Russo should fire those voters. Um, but yeah, what, a, what an unbelievable, it's supposed to be a lot harder than that to move from FCS to FBS. Obviously they were a powerhouse in FCS. And Can I ask you a question yeah. here, Mr. Uh, a bowl projections guy and everything like, so we didn't plan this, but like they did beat Troy at Troy. They won 16 to 14. Um, they, they beat UVA and we know UVA is not very good, but they're still a, an ACC school. Um, they beat uh south alabama who is who is pretty good or has been you know they do have to go to marshall who just lost the other day but they whipped georgia southern who's not you know not bad if they run the table are you going to say they should be that group of five team bruce i think you missed what i said earlier no i didn't i didn't like uh, i they can't they're ineligible i get it i get that i'm saying like I, Would I think they're the best team in the group of five? Yes. Quite possibly. I do think Air Force has got a really good team this year um, that m- may itself have a chance to go undefeated. Uh, but, but you know, I don't think there's an AAC team like that. I saw Tulane just move back into the top 25, but I don't think they're anywhere close to last year's team. Uh, I do think that if it gets to that point, there's going to be a lot of blowback toward the NCAA, which... They, they submitted a waiver in April. It got denied. I understand why that rule's in there. I don't think it's completely random. It's it's meant to dissuade teams from just, you know, having one good season, deciding, hey, we'll, we'll move up to FBS too, because it, it costs a lot of money. Um, but they've made the move up. They're winning. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a rule that, that dates to a time when those teams, 
I remember the like were Buffalo. Players. There were a lot of teams that they moved up and they were just awful for for years, and that doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. There is a some obscure and I don't know it off the top of my head situation where if there aren't enough teams eligible, they could get in, um, but it would be to a bowl, but it would be very very unlikely. All right, uh, next episode we have some big games. We'll we'll obviously talk more about. Penn State at Ohio State and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, we will take your questions and the mailbag. So please send them in to the audible pod at gmail.com. And we will see you next time. How did we get away with the things we used to do?